Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the world of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 9 and 10. Now in the last episode, we read chapters 7 and 8, and we saw that Percy has been accepted into a cohort. Specifically, the fifth cohort, as advocated by Hazel. Now, this is a momentous occasion for Percy as he is finally accepted into one of the groups at the camp. But unfortunately, that doesn't stop there. As Percy gets inducted into the cohort, he gets some. There's some snickering and there's some laughing, and this does. This this has continued from previous chapters, and is due to the reputation of that the fifth cohort has. Now, the fifth cohort did not have this reputation beforehand. They had. They were known as one of the legacy cohorts, and they were known as one of the best. But what happened was. Every cohort was assigned or given an eagle, a golden eagle by the gods. Now, this golden eagle was had special powers varying for each cohort. The fifth cohort had lightning for the eagle. Not a big fan for Percy. <laughs> but, so yeah, this eagle was kind of like the golden fleece for each cohort. Now, when you lost this, when, when, when we saw in the previous books, when we were reading the first series, when Talia's tree starts to die or weaken, it also starts to get more monsters into the camp. More monsters are able to come in and more monsters are able to attack. And this eagle also signifies that golden fleece. So when the fifth cohort was on a mission, they lost this eagle and that led to the weakening of the fifth cohort and essentially the reputation of the fifth cohort as they lost this eagle. Now, it was unexplained as to what they faced that caused them to lose the eagle, but all in all, everyone just looked at the end result and essentially that plundered the reputation of the fifth cohort. Now... Hopefully, since Percy has been inducted into this, there might be some change that is brought and that the, the skills brought on by everyone is able to come together and really emphasize that, you know, sense of unity and is able to bring the reputation back because if they're able to prove to them by maybe winning this match, if they're able to prove that they are still, you know, a legacy, they deserve to be a legacy, then... Hopefully, they'll be able to be worthy of having some respect in the camp, which hopefully I hope that happens as we read on for chapters 9 and 10. So now we're going to begin with chapter 9, Frank. As he marched to the war games, Frank replayed the day in his mind. He couldn't believe how close he'd come to death. That morning on sentry duty, before Percy showed up, Frank had almost told Hazel his secret. The two of them had been standing for hours in the chilly fog, watching the commuter traffic on Highway 24. Hazel had been complaining about the cold. I'd give anything to be warm, she said, her teeth chattering. I wish we had a fire. Even with her armor on, she looked great. Frank liked the way her cinnamon toast-colored hair curled around the edges of her helmet, and the way her chin dimpled when she frowned. She was tiny compared to Frank, which made him feel a bit like a big, clumsy ox. He wanted to put his arms around her to warm her up, but he'd never do that. She'd probably hit him, and he'd lose the only friend he had at camp. I could make a really impressive fire, he thought. Of course, it would only burn for a few minutes, then then I'd die. 
It was scary that he even considered it. Hazel had that effect on him. Whenever she wanted something, he had the irrational urge to provide it. He wanted to be the old-fashioned knight riding to her rescue, which was stupid, as she was way more capable at everything than he was. He imagined what his grandmother would say. Frank Zhang riding to the rescue? Ha! He'd fall off his horse and break his neck. Hard to believe it had only been six weeks since he left his grandmother's house. Six weeks since his mom's funeral. Everything had happened since then. What was arriving at his grandmother's door, the journey to Camp Jupiter, the weeks he'd spend in the fifth cohort trying not to be a complete failure. Through it all, he kept a half-burned piece of firewood wrapped in a cloth in his coat pocket. Keep it close, his grandmother had warned. As long as, is, as long as it is safe, you are safe. The problem was it had burned so easily. He remembered the trip south from Vancouver. When the temperature dropped below freezing near Mount Hood, Frank had brought out the piece of tinder and held it in his hands, imagining how nice it would be to have some fire. Immediately, the charred end blazed with a searing yellow flame. It lit up the night and warmed Frank to the bone, but he could feel his life slipping away, as if he, could f as if he were being consumed rather than the wood. He thrust the flame into a snowbank. For a horrible moment, it kept burning, where it finally went out. Frank got his panic under control. He wrapped a piece of wood and put it back into his coat pocket, determined not to bring it out again. But he couldn't forget it. It was though someone had said, whatever you do, don't think about that stick bursting into flame. So of course, that's all he thought about. On sentry duty with Hazel, he would try to take his mind off it. He loved spending time with her. He asked her about growing up in New Orleans, but she got edgy at his questions. So they made small talk instead, just for, uh, just for fun. They tried to speak French to each other. Hazel had some Creole blood on her mother's side. Frank had taken French in school. Neither of them was very fluent, and Louisiana, Louisiana French was so different from Canadian French, it was, almost, it was almost impossible to converse. When Frank asked Hazel how her beef was feeling today, and she replied that his shoe was green, they decided to give up. Then Percy Jackson had arrived. Sure, Frank had seen kids fight monsters before. He'd fought plenty of them himself on his journey from Vancouver. He'd never seen Gorgons. He'd never seen a goddess in person. And the way Percy had controlled a little Tiber, wow. Frank wished he had powers like that. He could, feel the, he could still feel the Gorgons' claws pressing into his arms and smell their snaky breath, like dead mice and poison. If not for Percy, those grotesque hags would have carried him away. He'd be a pile of bones in the back of a bargain mart by now. After the incident by the river, Reyna had sent Frank to the armory, which had given him way too much time to think. While he polished swords, he remembered Juno, warning them to unleash death. Unfortunately, Frank had a pretty good idea of what the goddess meant. He had tried to hide his shock when Juno had appeared, but she looked exactly like his grandmother had described. Right down to the goatskin cape. She chose your path years ago, grandmother had told him, and it will not be easy. Frank glanced at his bow in the corner of the armory. He'd feel better if Apollo would claim him as his son. Frank had been sure his godly parent would speak up on his 16th birthday, which had passed two weeks ago. 16 was an important milestone for Romans. It had been Frank's first birthday at camp. But nothing had happened. Now Frank hoped he would, he would be claimed on the Feast of Fortuna. Though, from what Juno had said, they'd be in a battle for their lives on that day. His father had to be Apollo. Archery was the only thing Frank was good at. 
Years ago, his mother had told him that their family name, Zhang, meant master of bows in Chinese. That must have been a hint about his dad. Frank put down his polishing rags. He looked at the ceiling. Please, Apollo, if you're my dad, tell me. I want to be an archer like you. No, you don't, a voice grumbled. Frank jumped out of his seat. Vitalius, the fifth cohort's lar, was shimmering behind him. His full name was Gaius Vitalius Reticulus, but the other cohorts call him Vitalius the Ridiculous. Hazel Levesque sent me to check on you, Vitalius said, hiking up his sword belt. Good thing, too. Look at the state of this armor. Vitalius wasn't one to talk. His toga was baggy, his tunic barely fit over his belly, and his scabbard fell fell off his belt every three seconds. But Frank didn't bother pointing that out. As for archers, the ghost said, they're wimps. Back in my day, archery was a job for barbarians. A good Roman should be in the fray, gutting his enemy with spear and sword like a civilized man. That's how we did it in the Punic Wars. Roman up, boy. Frank sighed. (sighs) I thought you were in Caesar's army. I was. Vitalius, Caesar was hundreds of years after the Punic Wars. You couldn't have been alive that long. Questioning my honor? Vitalius looked so mad, his purple aura glowed. He drew his ghostly gladius and yelled, Take that! He ran the sword, which was about as deadly as a laser pointer, through Frank's chest a few times. Ouch, Frank said, just to be nice. Vitalius looked satisfied and put his sword away. Perhaps you'll think twice about doubting your elders next time. Now, it was your 16th birthday recently, wasn't it? Frank nodded. He wasn't sure how Vitalius knew this, but Frank hadn't told anyone except Hazel. But ghosts had ways of finding out secrets. Eavesdropping while invisible was probably one of them. So that's why you're such a grumpy gladiator, the Lar said. Understandable. The 16th birthday is your day of manhood. Your godly parents should have claimed you, no doubt about it. Even, w- even if with only a small omen. Perhaps he thought you were younger. You look younger now. You look younger, you know, with that pudgy baby face. Thanks for reminding me, Frank muttered. Yes, I remember my 16th, Vitalius said happily. Wonderful omen, a chicken in my underpants. Excuse me? Vitalius puffed up with pride. That's right. I was at the river changing my clothes for my liberalia. Rite of passage into manhood, you know. We did things properly back then. I'd taken off my childhood toga and was washing up to don the adult one. Suddenly, a pure white chicken ran out of nowhere, dove into my loincloth, and ran off with it. I wasn't wearing it at that time. That's good, Frank said. And can I just say too much information? Mm, Vitalius wasn't listening. That was the sign I descended from Aesculapius, the god of medicine. I took my cognomen, my third name, Reticulus, because it meant undergarment, to remind me of the blessed day when a chicken stole my loincloth. So your name means Mr. Underwear. Praise the gods! I became a surgeon in the Legion, and the rest is history. He spread his arms generously. Don't give up, boy. Maybe your father is running late. Most omens are not as dramatic as a chicken, of course. I knew a fellow once who got a dung beetle. Thanks, Fidelius, Frank said. But I have to finish polishing this armor and the Gorgon's blood. Frank froze. He hadn't told anyone about that. As far as he knew, only Percy had seen him pocket the vials at the river, and they hadn't had a chance to talk about it. Come now, Vitalis chided. I'm a healer. I know the legends about Gorgon's blood. Show me the vials. 
Reluctantly, Frank brought out the two ceramic flasks he retrieved from the little Tiber. Spoils of war were often left behind when a monster dissolved, sometimes a tooth, or a weapon, or even the monster's entire head. Frank had known what the two vials were immediately. By tradition, they belonged to Percy, who had killed the Gorgons. But Frank couldn't help thinking, what if I could use them? Yes. Vitalius studied the vials approvingly. Blood taken from the right side of a Gorgon's body can cure any disease, even bring the dead back to life. The goddess Minerva once gave a vial of it to my divine ancestor, Aesculapius, but blood taken from the left side of a Gorgon, instantly fatal. So, which is which? Frank looked down at the vials. I don't know, they're identical. Ha! But you're hoping the right vial could solve your problem with the burned stick, eh? Maybe break your curse? Frank was so stunned, he couldn't talk. Oh, don't worry, boy. The ghost chuckled. I won't tell anyone. I'm a lar, a protector of the cohort. I wouldn't do anything to endanger you. You stabbed me through the chest with your sword. Trust me, boy. I have sympathy for you. Carrying the curse of that Argonaut. The what? Vitalius waved away the question. Don't be modest. You've got ancient roots. Greek as well as Roman. It's no wonder Juno. He tilted his head as if listening to a voice from above. His face went slack. His entire aura flickered green. But I've said enough. At any rate, I'll let you work out who gets the Gorgon's blood. I suppose that newcomer Percy could use it too, with his memory problem. Frank wondered what Vitalius had been about to say and what made him so scared. But he got the feeling that for once Vitalius was going to keep his mouth shut. He looked down at the two vials. He hadn't even thought of Percy's needing them. He felt guilty that he'd been intending to use the blood for himself. Yeah. Of course, he should have it. Ah, but if you want my advice, Vitalius looked up nervously again. You should both wait on that Gorgon blood. If my sources are right, you're going to need it on your quest. Quest? The doors of the armory flew open. Reyna stormed in with her metal gray hounds. Vitalius vanished. He might have liked chickens, but he did not like the Praetor's dogs. Frank. Reyna looked troubled. That's enough with the armor. Go find Hazel. Get Percy Jackson down here. He's been up there too long. Don't want Octavian. She hesitated. Just get Percy down here. So Frank had run all the way to Temple Hill. Walking back, Percy had asked tons of questions about Hazel's brother, Nico. But Frank didn't know that much. He's okay, Frank said. He's not like Hazel. How do you mean? Percy asked. Oh, um, Frank coughed. (coughs) He meant that Hazel was better looking and nicer, but he decided not to say that. Nico is kind of mysterious. He makes everybody else nervous, being the son of Pluto and all. But not you? Frank shrugged. Pluto's cool. It's not his fault he runs the underworld. He just got bad luck when the gods were dividing up the world, you know? Jupiter got the sky, Neptune got the sea, and Pluto got the shaft. Death doesn't scare you? Frank almost wanted to laugh. Ha! Not at all. Got a match? Instead, he said, back in the old times, like the Greek times, when Pluto was called Hades, he was more of a death god. When he became Roman, he got more, I don't know, respectable. He became the god of wealth, too. Everything under the earth belongs to him, so I don't think of him as being real scary. Percy scratched his head. How does a god become Roman? If he's Greek, wouldn't he stay Roman? Frank walked a few steps, thinking about that. Vitalis would have given Percy an hour-long lecture on that subject. 
probably with a PowerPoint presentation, but Frank took his best shot. The way Romans saw it, they adopted the Greek stuff and perfected it. Percy made a sour face. Perfected it? Like there was something wrong with it? Frank remembered what Vitellius had said. You've got ancient roots, Greek as well as Roman. His grandmother had said something similar. I don't know, he admitted. Rome was more successful than Greece. They made this huge empire, the gods became a bigger deal in Roman times, more powerful and widely known. That's why they're still around today. So many civilizations based themselves on Rome. The gods changed to Roman because that's where the center of power was. Jupiter was, well, more responsible as a Roman god than he had been when he was Zeus. Mars became a lot more important and disciplined. And Juno became a hippie bag lady? Percy noted. So you're saying the old Greek gods, they just changed permanently to Roman? There's nothing left of the Greek? Uh, Frank looked around to make sure there were no campers or layers nearby. But the main gates were still a hundred yards away. That's a sensitive topic. Some people say Greek influence is still around, like it's still a part of the gods' personalities. I've heard stories of demigods occasionally leaving Camp Jupiter. They reject Roman training and try to follow the older Greek style, like being solo heroes instead of working as a team the way the Legion does. And back in the ancient days when Rome fell, the eastern half of the empire survived. The Greek half. Percy stared at him. I didn't know that. It was called Byzantium, Frank liked to say. Frank liked saying that word. It sounded cool. The Eastern Empire lasted another thousand years, but it was always more Greek than a Roman. For those of us who follow the Roman way, it's kind of a sore subject. That's why whatever country we settle in, Camp Jupiter is always in the West, the Roman part of the territory. The East is considered bad luck. Huh, Percy frowned. Frank couldn't blame him for feeling confused. The Greek-Roman stuff gave him a headache, too. They reached the gates. I'll take you to the bats to get you cleaned up. Frank said, but first, about those vials I found at the river. Gorgon's blood, Percy said. One vial heals, one is deadly poison. Frank's eyes widened. You know about that? Listen, I wasn't going to keep them. I just, I know why you did it, Frank. You do? Yeah, Percy smiled. If I come into camp carrying a vial of poison, that would have looked bad. You were trying to protect me. Oh, right. Frank wiped the sweat off his palms. But if we could figure out which vial it was, it might heal your memory. Percy's smile faded. He gazed across the hills. Maybe, I guess. But you should hang on to those vials for now. There's a battle coming. We may need them to save lives. Frank stared at him, a little bit in awe. Percy had a chance to get his memory back, and he was willing to wait in case someone else needed the vial more. Romans were supposed to be unselfish and help their comrades, but Frank wasn't sure anyone else at camp would, would have made that choice. So you don't remember anything? Frank asked. Family? Friends? Percy fingered the clay beads around his neck. Only glimpses. Murky stuff. A girlfriend? I thought she'd be at camp. He looked at Frank carefully as if making a decision. Her name was Annabeth. You don't know her, do you? Frank shook his head. I know everybody at camp, but no Annabeth. What about your family? Is your mom mortal? I guess so. She's probably worried out of her mind. Does your mom get to see you much? Frank stopped at the bathhouse entrance. He grabbed some towels from the supply shed. She died. Percy knit, knit his eyebrow. How? Usually Frank would lie. He'd say an accident and shut off the conversation. Otherwise, his emotions got out of control.
He couldn't cry at Camp Jupiter. He couldn't show weakness, with, but with Percy, Frank found it easier to talk. She died in the war, he said. Afghanistan. She was in the military? Canadian, yeah. Canada? I didn't know. Most Americans don't, Frank sighed. But yeah, Canada has troops there. My mom was a captain. She was one of the first women to die in combat. She saved some soldiers who were pinned down by enemy fire. She she didn't make it. The funeral, the funeral was right before I came down here. Percy nodded. He didn't ask for more details, which Frank appreciated. He didn't say he was sorry or make any of the well-meaning comments that Frank always hated. Oh, you poor guy, that must be so hard on you. You have my deepest condolences. It was like Percy had faced death before. Like he knew about grief. What mattered was listening. You didn't need to say you were sorry. The only thing that helped was moving on. Moving forward. How about you show me the bats now? Percy just suggested. I'm filthy. Frank managed to smile. Yeah, you kind of are. As they walked into the steam room, Frank thought of his grandmother, his mom, and his cursed childhood. Thanks to Juno and her piece of firewood, he almost wished he could forget his past. The way Percy had. And that's the end of chapter 9. That is That was a very, very fascinating chapter. We got to know more now about Frank and what his past was like. And I... Uh, yeah, I think that, you know, I think his mom really did well for his country and that she made, I would say that she made an honorable sacrifice and that, you know, I'm, you know, hopefully Frank is able to move on and maybe if he's able to get some support, maybe some, if he's able to meet his godly parent, he might be able to find more about, you know, what exactly he's supposed to be doing in the Roman camp and what exactly his duties are. I mean, hopefully that he's able to, you know, do well and really enhance his archery in a way that, you know, he's able to actually make use of it when it comes to, you know, any wars or missions where it has to go against, you know, possibly Gaia or her minions. But after this break, we're going to read chapter 10 and we'll see more of Frank and Percy being able to converse with each other and possibly seeing if Percy can maybe recall some more of his memories because we saw throughout the last book that Jason was getting his memories and recalling his memories in random spots so maybe this is one of those moments where possibly Percy is also able to regain his memories so after the break we'll read chapter 10 Frank And we're back from the ads, and now we're going to read chapter 10, Frank. Frank didn't remember much about the funeral itself, but he remembered the hours leading up to it. His grandmother coming out into the backyard to find him shooting arrows at her porcelain collection. His grandmother's house was a rambling graystone mansion on 12 acres in North Vancouver. Her backyard ran straight into Lane Canyon Park. The morning was cold and drizzly, but Frank didn't feel the chill. He wore a black wool suit and a black overcoat that had once belonged to his grandfather. Frank had been startled and upset to find that they fit him fine. The clothes smelled like wet mothballs and jasmine. The fabric was itchy but warm. With his bow and quiver, he probably looked like a very dangerous butler. He loaded some of his grandmother's porcelain in a wagon and towed it into the yard, where he set up targets on old fence posts on the edge of the property. 
He'd been shooting so long his fingers were starting to lose their feeling. With every arrow he imagined, he was striking down his problems. Snipers in Afghanistan. Smash. A teapot exploded with an arrow through the middle. The sacrifice medal. A silver disc on a red and black ribbon given for death in line of duty. Presented to Frank as if it were something important. Something that made everything all right. Thwack. A teacup spun into the woods. The officer who came to tell him, Your mother is a hero. Captain Emily Zhang died trying to save her comrades. Crack. A blue and white plate split into pieces. His grandmother's chastisement. Men do not cry, especially Zhang men. You will endure, Fei. Fei. No one called him Fei except his grandmother. What sort of name is Frank? She would scold. That is not a Chinese name. I'm not Chinese, Frank thought. But he didn't dare say that. His mother had told him years ago, there is no arguing with grandmother. It'll only make you suffer worse. She'd been right. And now, have, and now Frank had no one except his grandmother. Thud. A fourth arrow hit the fence post and stuck there, quivering. Fie, said his grandmother. Frank turned. She was clutching a shoebox-sized ma- sized mahogany chest that Frank had never seen before. With her high-colored black dress and severe bun of ta- gray hair, she looked like a schoolteacher from the 1800s. She surveyed the carnage, her purse porcelain in the wagon, the shards of her favorite tea sets scattered over the lawn, Frank's arrows, sticks, uh, fa- arrows sticking out of the ground, the trees, the fence posts, and one in the head of a smiling no- garden gnome. Frank thought she would yell or hit him with the box. He'd never done anything this bad before. He'd never felt so angry. Grandma's face was full of bitterness and disapproval. She looked nothing like Frank's mom. He wondered how his mother had turned out to be so nice, always laughing, always gentle. Frank couldn't imagine his mom growing up with grandmother any more than he could imagine her on the battlefield, though the two situations probably weren't that different. He waited for grandmother to explode. Maybe he'd be grounded and wouldn't have to go to the funeral. He wanted to hurt her for being so mean all the time, for letting his mother go off to war, for scolding him to get over it. All she cared about was her stupid collection. Stop this ridiculous behavior, grandmother said. She didn't sound very irritated. It is beneath you. To Frank's astonishment, she kicked aside one of her favorite teacups. The car will be here soon, she said. We must talk. Frank was dumbfounded. He looked more closely at the mahogany box. For a horrible moment, he wondered if it contained his mother's ashes. But that was impossible. Grandmother had told him there would be a military burial. Then why did grandmother hold the box so gingerly, as if its contents grieved her? Come inside, she said. Without waiting to see if he would follow, she turned and marched toward the house. In the parlor, Frank sat on on a velvet sofa, surrounded by vintage family photos, porcelain vases that had been too large for his wagon, and red Chinese calligraphy banners. Frank didn't know what the calligraphy said. He'd never had much interest in learning. He didn't know most of the people in the photographs either. Whenever grandmother started lecturing him about his ancestors, how they come over from China and prospered in the import-export business, eventually becoming one of the wealthiest Chinese families in Vancouver. Well, it was boring. Frank was the fourth-generation Canadian. He didn't care about China and all these musty antiques. The only Chinese characters he could recognize were his family name, Zhang, Master of Bows. That was cool. Grandmother sat next to him. Her posture stiff, 
her hands folded over the box. Your mother wanted you to have this, she said with reluctance. She kept it since you were a baby. When she went away to the war, she entrusted it to me. But now she is gone, and now soon you will be going too. Frank's stomach fluttered. Going? Where? I'm old, grandmother said, as if that were a surprising announcement. I have my own appointment with death soon enough. I cannot teach you the skills you will need, and I cannot keep this burden. If something were to happen to it, I would never forgive myself. You would die. Frank wasn't sure he'd heard her right. It sounded like she'd said his life depended on that box. He wondered why he'd never seen it before. She must have kept it locked in the attic, the one room Frank was forbidden to explore. She always said she kept her most valuable treasures up there. She handed the box to him. He opened the lid with trembling fingers. Inside, cushioned in velvet lining, was a terrifying, life-altering, incredibly important piece of wood. It looked like driftwood, hard and smooth, sculpted into a wavy shape. It was about the size of a TV remote control. The tip was charred. Frank touched the burned end. It felt warm. The ashes left a black smudge on his finger. It's a stick, he said. He couldn't figure out why grandmother was acting so tense and serious about it. Her eyes glittered. Fi, do you know of prophecies? Do you know of the gods? The questions made him uncomfortable. He thought about grandmother's silly gold statues of Chinese immortals, her superstitions about putting furniture in certain places and avoiding unlucky numbers. Prophecies made him think of fortune cookies, which weren't even Chinese. Not really. But the bullies at school teased him about stupid stuff like that. Confucius say, and all that garbage. Frank had never even been to China. He wanted nothing to do with it, but of course, grandmother didn't want to hear it. A little, grandmother, he said. Not much. Most would have scoffed at your mother's tale, she said, but I do not. I know of prophecies and gods, Greek, Roman, Chinese. They intertwine in our family. I did not question when she, what she told me about your father. Wait. What? Your father was a god, she said plainly. If grandmother had a sense of humor, Frank would have thought she was king, but grandmother never teased. Was she going senile? Stop gaping at me, she snapped. My mind is not addled. Haven't you ever wondered why your father never came back? He was... Frank faltered. Losing his mother was painful enough. He didn't want to think about his father, too. He was in the army, like mom. He went missing in action in Iraq. Bah! He was a god! He fell in love with your mother because she was a natural warrior. She was like me. Strong, brave, good, beautiful. Strong and brave, Frank could believe. Picturing grandmother as good or beautiful was more difficult. He still suspected she might be losing her marbles, but he asked, What kind of god? Roman, she she said. Beyond that, I don't know. Your mother wouldn't say. Or perhaps she didn't know herself. It is no surprise a god would fall in love with her. Given our family, he must have known she was of ancient blood. Wait, we're Chinese. Why would Roman gods want to date Chinese Canadians? Grandmother's nostrils flared. If you bothered to learn the family history, Fi, you might know this. China and Rome are not so different, nor as separate as you might believe. Our family is from the Gansu province, a town once called Lijian. And before that, as I said, ancient blood. The blood of princes, princes and heroes. Frank just stared at her. She sighed in exasperation. 
My words are wasted on this young ox. You will learn the truth when you go to camp. Perhaps your father will claim you, but for now I must explain the firewood. She pointed at the big stone fireplace. Shortly after you were born, a visitor appeared at our hearth. Your mother and I sat here on the couch, just where you and I are sitting. You are a tiny thing, swaddled in a blue blanket, and she cradled you in her arms. It sounded like a sweet memory, but grandmother told it in a bitter tone, as if she knew even then that Frank would turn into a big lumbering oaf. A woman appeared at the fire, she continued. She was a white woman, a guapo, dressed in blue silk, with a strange cloak like the skin of a goat. A goat, Frank said numbly. Grandmother scowled. Yes, clean your ears, Faizong. I'm too old to tell every story twice. The woman with the goatskin was a goddess. I can always tell these things. She smiled at the baby, at you, and she told your mother in perfect Mandarin no less. He will close the circle. He will return your family to its roots and bring you great honor. Grandmother snorted. I do not argue with goddesses, but perhaps this one did not see the future clearly. Whatever the case, she said, he will go to camp and restore your reputation there. He will free Thanatos from his icy chains. Wait, who? Thanatos, grandmother said impatiently, the Greek name for death. Now, may I continue without interruptions? The goddess said, the blood of Pylos is strong in this child from his mother's side. He will have the Zhang family gift, but he he will also have the powers of his father. Suddenly, Frank's family history didn't seem so boring. He desperately wanted to ask what it all meant. Powers? Gifts? Blood of Pylos? What was this camp and who was his father? But he didn't want to interrupt grandmother again. He wanted her to keep talking. No power comes without a price, Fi, she said. Before the goddess disappeared, she pointed at the fire and said, He will be the strongest of your clan and the greatest. But the fates have decreed he will also be the most vulnerable. His life will burn bright and short. As soon as that piece of tinder is consumed, that stick at the edge of the fire... Your son is destined to die. Frank could hardly breathe. He looked at the box in his lap and the smudge of ash on his finger. That story sounded ridiculous. But suddenly the piece of driftwood seemed more sinister, colder, and heavier. This, this, yes, my thick-headed ox, grandmother said. That is the very stick. The goddess disappeared and I snatched the wood from the fire immediately. We have kept it ever since. If it burns up, I die? It is not so strange, grandmother said. Roman? Chinese? The destinies of men can often be predicted, and sometimes guarded against, at least for a time. The firewood is in your position now. Keep it close. As long as it is safe, you are safe. Frank shook his head. He wanted to protest that this was such a, this was just a stupid legend. Maybe grandmother was trying to scare him as some sort of revenge for picking, breaking her porcelain but her eyes were defined. She seemed to be challenging Frank. If you do not believe it, burn it. Frank closed the box. If it's so dangerous, why not seal the wood in something that won't burn, like plastic or steel? Why not put it in a safe deposit box? What would happen, grandmother wondered, if we coated the stick in another substance? Would you two suffocate? I do not know. Your mother would not take the risk. She couldn't bear to part with it, for fear something would go wrong. Banks can be robbed, buildings can burn down, 
Strange things conspire when one tries to cheat fate. Your mother thought the stick was only safe in her possession until she went to war. Then she gave it to me. Grandmother exhaled sourly. Emily was foolish going to war, though I suppose I always knew it was her destiny. She hoped to meet your father again. She thought she thought he'd be in Afghanistan? Grandmother spread her hands as if this was beyond her understanding. She went. She died bravely. She thought the family gift would protect her. No doubt that's how she saved those soldiers, but the gift has never kept our family safe. It did not help my father or his father. It did not help me. And now you have become a man. You must follow the path. But what path? What's our gift? Archery? You and your archery, foolish boy. Soon you will find out. Tonight after the funeral, you must go south. Your mother said if she did not come back from combat, Lupa would send messengers. They will escort you to a place where the children of the gods can be trained for their destiny. Frank felt as if he were being shot with arrows, his heart splitting into porcelain shards. He didn't understand most of what grandmother said, but one thing was clear. She was kicking him out. You just let me go? He asked. Your last family? Grandmother's mouth quivered. Her eyes looked moist. Frank was shocked to realize she was near tears. She lost her husband years ago, then her daughter, and now she was about to send away her only grandson. But she rose from the couch and stood tall, her posture as stiff and correct as ever. When you arrive at camp, she instructed, you must speak to the Praetor in private. Tell her your great-grandfather was Shenlun. It has been many years since the San Francisco incident. Hopefully they will not kill you for what he did, but you want, might want to beg forgiveness for his actions. This is sounding better and better, Frank mumbled. The goddess said you would bring our family full circle. Grandmother's voice had no trace of sympathy. She chose your path years ago, and it will not be easy. But now it is time for the funeral. We have obligations. Come, the car will be waiting. The ceremony was a blur. Solemn faces, the patter of rain on the graveside awning, the crack of rifles from the honor guard, the casket sinking into the earth. That night, the wolves came. They howled on the front porch. Frank came out to meet them. He took his travel pack, his warmest clothes, his bow, and his quiver. His mother's sacrifice medal was tucked in his pack. The charred stick was wrapped carefully in three layers of cloth in his coat pocket, next to his heart. His journey south began, to the wolf house in Sonoma, and eventually to Camp Jupiter, where he had spoken to Reina privately, as grandmother had instructed. He begged forgiveness for the great-grandfather he knew nothing about. Reina let him join the Legion. She never did tell him what his great-grandfather had done, but she obviously knew. Frank could tell it was bad. I judge people by their own merits, Reina had told him, but do not mention the name Shenlun to anyone else. It must remain our secret or you'll be treated badly. Unfortunately, Frank didn't have many merits. His first month at camp was spent knocking over rows of weapons, breaking chariots and tripping entire cohorts as they marched. His favorite job was caring for Hannibal the elephant, but he managed to mess up that up too, giving Hannibal indigestion by feeding him peanuts. Who knew elephants could be peanut intolerant? Frank figured Reyna was regretting her decision to let him join. Every day he woke up wondering if the stick would somehow catch fire and burn, and he would cease to exist. All of this ran through Frank's head as he walked with Hazel and Percy to the war games. He thought about the stick wrapped inside his coat pocket and what it meant that Juno had appeared at camp. Was he about to die? 
He hoped not. He hadn't brought his family any honor yet. That was for sure. Maybe Apollo would claim him today and explain his powers and gifts. Once they got out of camp, the 5th cohort formed two lines behind their centurions, Dakota and Gwen. They marched north, skirting the edge of the city, and headed to the field of Mars, the largest, flattest part of the valley. The grass was cropped short by all the unicorns, bulls, and homeless fawns that grazed here. The earth was pitted with explosion craters and scarred with trenches from past games. At the north end of the field stood their target. The engineers had built a stone fortress with an iron portcullis, guard towers, scorpion ballistae, water cannons, and no doubt many other nasty surprises for the defenders to use. They did a good job today, Hazel noted. That's bad for us. Wait, Percy said. You're telling me that fortress was built today? Hazel grinned. Legionnaires are trained to build. If we had to, we could break down the entire camp and rebuild it somewhere else. Take maybe three or four days, but we could do it. Let's not, Percy said. So you attack a different fort every night? Not every night, Frank said. We have different training exercises. Sometimes death ball, um, which is like paintball, except with, you know, poison and acid and fireballs. Sometimes we do chariots and gladiator competitions. Sometimes war games. Hazel pointed at the fort. Somewhere inside, the first and second cohorts are keeping their banners. Our job is to get inside and capture them without getting slaughtered. We do that, we win. Percy's eyes lit up. Like capture the flag. I think I like capture the flag. Frank laughed. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's harder than it sounds. We have to get past those scorpions and water cannons on the walls, fight through the inside of the wall fortress, find the banners, and defeat the guards, all while protecting our own banners and troops from capture. And our, own, and our cohort is in competition with the other two attacking cohorts. We sort of work together, but not really. The cohort that captures the banners gets all the glory. Percy stumbled, trying to keep time with the left-writing marching system. Frank sympathized. He'd spend his first two weeks falling down. So why are we practicing this anyway? Percy asked. Do you guys spend a lot of time laying siege to fortified cities? Teamwork, Hazel said. Quick thinking, tactics, battle skills. You'd be surprised what you can learn in the war games. Like who will stab you in the back, Frank said. Especially that, Hazel agreed. They marched to the center of the field of Mars and formed ranks. The third and fourth cohorts assembled as far as possible from the fifth. The centurions for the attacking side gathered for a conference. In the sky above them, Reina was circled under Pegasus, Scipio, ready to play referee. Half a dozen giant eagles flew in formation behind her, prepared for ambulance airlift duty if necessary. The only person not participating in the game was Nico D'Angelo, Pluto's ambassador who had climbed an observation tower about a hundred yards from the fort and would be watching with binoculars. Frank popped his pillum against his shield and checked Percy's armor. Every strap was correct. Every piece of armor was properly adjusted. You did it right, he said in amazement. Percy, you must have done war games before. I don't know. Maybe. The only thing that wasn't regulation was Percy's glowing bronze sword. Not imperial gold, and not a gladius. The blade was leaf-shaped, and the writing on the hilt was Greek. Looking at it made Frank uneasy. Percy frowned. We can use real weapons, right? Yeah, Frank agreed. For sure. I've just never seen a sword like that. What if I hurt somebody? We heal them. Frank said, or tried to. 
The Legion medics are pretty good with ambrosia and nectar and unicorn drought. No one dies, Hazel said. Well, not usually, and if they do, Frank imitated the voice of Vitalius. They're wimps. Back in my day, we died all the time, and we liked it. Hazel laughed. <laughs> Just stay with us, Percy. Chances are we'll get the worst duty and get eliminated early. They'll throw us at the walls first to soften up the defense. Then the third and fourth cohorts will march in and get the honors, if they can even breach the fort. Horns blew. Dakota and Gwen walked back from the officers' conference, looking grim. All right, here's the plan. Dakota took a quick swig of Kool-Aid from his travel flask. They're throwing us at the walls first to soften up the defenses. The whole cohort groaned. I know, I know, Gwen said, but maybe this time we'll have some luck. Leave it to Gwen to be the optimist. Everybody liked her because she took care of her people and tried to keep her, their spirits up. She could even control Dakota during his hyperactive bug juice fits. Still, the campers grumbled and complained. Nobody believed in luck for the fifth. First line with Dakota, Gwen said. Lock shields and advance in turtle formation to the main gates. Try to stay in one piece. Draw their fire. Second line. Gwen turned to Frank's row without much enthusiasm. You, 17, from Bobby over, take charge of the elephant and, from, and the scaling ladders. Try a flanking attack on the western wall. Maybe we can spread the defenders too thin. Frank, Hazel, Percy, well, just do whatever. Show Percy the ropes. Try to keep him alive. She turned back to the whole cohort. If anybody gets over the wall first, I'll make sure you're the, you get the mural crown. Victory for the fifth! The cohort cheered half-heartedly and broke ranks. Percy frowned. Do whatever? Hazel sighed. <sighs> Big vote of confidence. What's the mural crown? He asked. Military medal, Frank said. He'd been forced to memorize all the possible awards. Big honor for the first soldier to breach an enemy fort. You'll notice nobody in the fifth is wearing one. Usually we don't even get into the fort because we're burning or drowning or... He faltered and looked at Percy. Water cannons. What? Percy asked. The cannons on the walls, Frank said. They draw water from the aqueduct. There's, there's a pump system. Heck, I don't know how they work, but they're under a lot of pressure. If you could control them like you control the river, Frank, Hazel beamed. That's brilliant. Frank, Percy didn't look so sure. I don't know how I did that at the river. I, I'm not sure I can control the cannons from this far away. We'll get you closer. Frank pointed to the eastern wall of the fort, where the fifth cohort wouldn't be attacking. That's where the defense will be the weakest. They'll never take three kids seriously. I think we can sneak up pretty close before they see us. Sneak up how? Percy asked. Frank turned to Hazel. Can you do that thing again? She punched him in the chest. You said you wouldn't tell anybody. Immediately, Frank felt terrible. He got so caught up in the idea. Hazel muttered under her breath. Never mind, it's fine. Percy, he's talking about the trenches. The field of Mars is riddled with tunnels from all over the years. Some are collapsed or buried deep, or but a lot of them are still passable. I'm pretty good at finding them and using them. I can even collapse them if I have to. Like you did with the Gorgons? Percy said, to slow them down? Frank nodded approvingly. I told you Pluto was cool. He's a god of everything under the Earth. Hazel can find caves, tunnels, trapdoors, and it was our secret. She grumbled. Frank felt himself blushing. Yeah, sorry. But if we can get close, and if I can knock out the water cannons... Percy nodded like he was warming to the idea. What do we do then? Frank checked his quiver. He always stocked up on special arrows. He'd never gotten to use them before, but maybe tonight was the night. Maybe he could finally do something good enough to get Apollo's attention. The rest is up to me. 
He said, let's go. And that's the end of chapter 10. I am, that was such a cliffhanger end. And I think that this, the, when next week when we read chapters 11 and 12, this is going to be such an interesting battle. And I think this, my, this war game might be the game that finally gets the cohort their reputation back. Because with Percy and his ability to control water as he is the son of Poseidon slash Neptune, this is able to give a huge advantage to the fifth cohort because they're able to take down half of the defense that is existent on those, um, like, next to those walls. So once they're able to take those down, they can easily get in and possibly start doing some combat, combat, hand-to-hand fight, uh, fighting with, you know, Frank finally being able to use his arrows. And I really think that even if Frank isn't claimed by Apollo, I think that whichever godly parent that he does, he is claimed by, they will probably will have to do something with combat because, you know, I think if with Frank and his, you know, love for, you know, arrows and archery and all of that, I don't think it necessarily only has to be for Apollo. It can be any god that's, you know, usually you know related to warfare and that kind of stuff so maybe maybe there's a chance that he might have an there's another chance there's going to be another you know godly parent maybe Ares possibly it's a very possible chance but yeah that's my um that's my theory on Frank's possible godly parent so next week we'll see how this battle turns out and how exactly if this plan is going to work And if finally, finally, the fifth cohort will finally be able to get their win for this war game and bring honor upon their group. Now, hopefully some people are able to get the the medal that was talked about in this war game. And I believe it was the mural crown. And that, you know, we are able to actually, you know, everyone starts respecting the fifth cohort because they do deserve some respect because they have some insane talent. So next week, we'll read chapters 11 and 12 and see how this battle goes. But until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom. Oh, and if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, and if you want to support me, my Patreon is located in the description of my podcast. Once again, thank you all for listening and supporting me. And once again, stay safe and stay out of boredom.